are you ready for God's word? You know, the Lord put this message on my heart and it's found in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a very interesting book. If you haven't had a chance to really peruse it, to get involved in it, to to study it, you'll be surprised how much leadership principles you can draw from the book of Nehemiah. If you are an aspiring leader, or if you are at a place where you say, I, could, I would love to grow in my leadership skills from God's word, this is a great place to start. The book of Nehemiah. Now, who is Nehemiah? When did Nehemiah's story take place? It took place about 400 years before Christ. That's a long time. That's a long time. 400 years You say, well, who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Persian king. The Medo-Persian Empire came to be a prominent worldwide empire or a, a world empire when they took over Babylon and dethroned them from that position. So that tells you a little bit about where we are in history. Babylon conquered Judah. Judah was conquered by Babylon and And many of the uh, Jewish people were taken into exile. What does it mean? It means that that the king of Babylon began to displace them and bring them into Babylon. We know that Daniel ended up in Babylon through that very act. You say, well, why is Daniel important? Because Daniel receives some of the greatest prophecy that, that is ever found in God's word. And the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation go hand in hand. You cannot understand the book of Revelation if you don't understand the book of Daniel. And so you have these two great men beloved by God that God gives revelation to. And one of the greatest prophecies is found in Daniel chapter 9. It's the prophecy of the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks talks about a specific, listen to me very closely, a specific decree given by a king. A specific decree to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. That that occurrence takes place after Daniel in the Medo-Persian Empire under Nehemiah. So I'm connecting dots for you. What Daniel prophesies is found right here in Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. What is the cupbearer? The cupbearer serves right alongside the king, and anything the king has to eat, ingest, or touch to his lips has to touch your lips first, if you're the cupbearer. Why? This ensures that the king will not be poisoned, because anybody trying to poison the king will end up poisoning, poisoning you first. And when you fall dead, the king goes, I'm not going to eat that. And he'll launch an investigation, get to the bottom of it, and deal with the culprits. Does that make sense? And so your cupbearer needs to be of impeccable character and integrity. Why? Because the only way you get poisoned is for the cupbearer to be in on it. So he has to have impeccable character. And because Nehemiah has impeccable character and integrity, he is the the trusted cupbearer of the king, and they grow close together. 
That means the king respects Nehemiah. And on one occasion, uh, Nehemiah is downcast or sad in the king's presence. The king inquires of it. And, the, and Nehemiah tells him, I'm sad because, because the city, the capital of my people, lays in ruins. It lies in ruins. What, is it, what does it mean to lie in ruins? It means that it's completely destroyed. And there are people there that have returned back after Babylon. Right? We know that they were given the opportunity to return back. That's a whole other set of prophecies that I could get into. But, but God's word tells us that, <coughs> excuse me, that they are there trying to make a go of it, but because there's no city walls, what happened while they were taken out into exile, you have other, other groups and other uh, uh, people that started infringing on this area that used to be Israel's, but now it's empty. And in the vacuum, you've got Israel's enemies that begin to build up their nation state or nation city. And then when Israel returns and tries to build themselves up, these foreigners begin to raid them and take from them at will. And this is where we pick up the story. Nehemiah asks the king to go back and help rebuild his city and the city wall and the king grants him permission and so in chapter 4 verse 1 we have Sanballat when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall he became angry and was greatly incensed he ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria he said what are those feeble Jews doing Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from, the, from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Can they really do it? Can I tell you something? Whenever you start to build your dream, whenever you start to build towards your vision, Whenever you start to build what God has put in your heart, you will encounter a battle. Write that down. Whenever you go to build, there is battle that comes along with building. Nothing worth having, nothing worth having is done or had without a fight. You're going to have to fight for it. And here, the fight begins the moment they set their hearts to rebuild. They start to rebuild and their enemies start talking. Starts uh, sharing. Now, what are the two things the enemy does? He begins to criticize them and ridicule them. What does he say? He says very, very pointedly, you're too feeble, number one. You're too feeble. The work is too hard for you. You're too feeble. The work is too hard for you. Come on, how many times have you ever set out to do something and you hear the enemy trying to whisper this in your ear, trying to tell you you're not good enough and you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes and you're not strong enough. They, and, and this is the point. The tendency is to try to respond in your flesh. How do you respond in the flesh? Oh yeah, I am. And then the enemy says, I got you right where I want you. The minute you start talking in pride, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Best thing you can do is say, thank goodness he is. Thank goodness my king is awesome. Thank goodness that in spite of me, he will be glorified. But watch what happens next. 
So these are the first two. The first two are, you're too feeble, and the work is too hard for you. Verse 3, then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Isn't it interesting he uses the word fox? He didn't say a bear. A bear is heavy-footed. A fox is light-footed. He's saying it's going to be so inferior, the work, because they have no idea. That's another insult. That's another insult. We'll talk more about this in a second. But, well, well, let's just drop down. I'll come back to that verse. But let's drop down to the third criticism designed to discourage. Designed to discourage. First, you're too feeble. The work is too hard for you. And number three, your work won't be good enough. Can I tell you something? Archaeologists have found remnants of their work, and they have found that that wall was nine feet thick. Hmm. Their work was good enough. And I tell you, your work will be good enough. Your vision will be good enough. Your, your effort will be good enough. But you've got to not listen to the words of the enemy because the enemy wants to work in here. He wants to bounce around in here. And if he can, re- if he can set up shop here, it won't be long before he affects here. And once you lose heart, then you can forget about it. You can be strong. And you will be strong. And you will accomplish in God's name. But this is the key. You're going to see a pattern in this chapter. You set out to do something to build, and then the battle comes. And it comes first here. It comes first in the emotional before it becomes physical. The physical will come later. But this is what the pattern that you will find here is the way you overcome that discouragement is through prayer. You'll see it. They get discouraged, or it comes at them, they immediately pray. They get better, they start to go, then the next attack comes, pray. They get better, the next attack comes, they have to pray. So what's happening here? God is cementing a very important principle for us Christians. You want to know what that principle is? That principle is that if you want to grow your faith, you're going to have to double down on prayer. You're going to have to get in the gym of life, the gymnasium of life, and you're going to have to get down on that bench press, spiritually speaking, and you're going to have to work out. And the resistance is going to come, and the pressure is going to come, and the weight is going to be felt, but you can't overcome. Come on now, I'm trying to help you if you let me. I'm trying to help you if you let me. Some of us are trying to walk in faith, but you don't want to work. You're not going to walk in faith until you decide, Lord, in prayer, I'm going to exercise and learn how to overcome this discourager. Because you will face a discourager. Immediately, notice, they haven't even started. He's already on them. And so, listen to verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Notice the passion in their prayer. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Oh, man. Come on, this is a prayer of courage. This is not a wimpy prayer. Can I tell you that? Write that in your notes. No more wimpy prayers. No more defeat, pr- defeated prayers. No more woe is me prayers. No more prayers. Oh, God. I mean, that will come later. But the first prayer has to be at least, come on. Like you believe you can do something. Listen to 
what they say. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Lord, what they have, give it to us. Ooh, I love it. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of your builders, dear God. Man, what a prayer. So they rebuilt the wall until all of it reached the halfway mark in height. And the people worked with all of their heart. You know what they did? In that prayer, they reminded themselves of their purpose. And when they reminded themselves of their purpose and they trusted God for it, then their passion grew. You cannot do what you are called to do without purpose and passion bathed in prayer. That's my message. Amen. Love you guys. Hey, that's enough, isn't it? You cannot do what you were called to do in life. Succeed in your marriage, raise great kids, be an awesome man of God, woman of God, build a business, whatever it is that you're called to do without purpose from God that raises up inside of you a passion and it's bathed in prayer. I just feel like Dr. Rob when I said that. Some of y'all don't know who Dr. Rob is. You're missing it. Oh, man. So I just want you to consider this. Consider it. That's how they overcame the, you're too feeble. The work is too hard for you. Your work won't be good enough. And then you go into verse 7. Listen to verse 7. But when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. So now, the words weren't enough. Now comes the physical. Can I tell you the enemy will get physical with you? Some of you are going, whoa, I don't want to see, I don't want to see the devil in a dark room. No, 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 he's not going to get physical in that sense. He's going to send his minions. These are his minions right here. He's going to send enemies to get physical because the words that were being spoken weren't enough now watch what they do in verse 9 you see the pattern here but we prayed to our God and we posted of guard a guard day and night to meet this threat you want to know what they did they prayed and now they upped it a notch they said not only are we just going to pray and throw some half-hearted prayer out there now we're going to stand guard we're going to watch and if we see you we're going to double down on prayer what if you lived your life that way what if I lived my life that way? What if I said, anytime I see you, devil, lurking around my family, I'm going to call you out, and our family's going to close ranks, and we're going to pray? Ooh. Posted a guard. Notice how, uh, how Nehemiah's leadership is. Mothers. Mothers in a home. Notice his leadership. Fathers in a home. Notice his leadership. Oldest son in a home. Oldest daughter in a home. Notice his leadership. He didn't just pray now. He upped it a notch. He said, now it's time to start being visual. We got to be vigilant. And pay attention to what's happening because this is a critical moment. Why is it a critical moment? 
Watch, watch what happens in verse 10. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is going out. And there is so much rubble and debris that we cannot rebuild the wall. In one version, it says, we are convinced we will never make it. Hmm. Wait, wait, but they started with all their heart. Isn't it interesting when you first start out, you always start off with a bang. Anyone? I mean, I start off with a bang. It's the, it's the midway mark. Can I tell you, that's the hardest point, midway. Midway through your college degree. Midway through. Midway through your business aspirations of building something great. Midway through your marriage. Most marriages break up midway through. How about midway through your life? Most people encounter what's called a midlife crisis. Why? Because things get tough. Why do they get tough? Things begin to change and things begin to work against you. I can remember a time when, when my brother and I had gone on a mission trip. Actually, I took my whole family and I decided to invite him. And he, he took me up on the deal. And, and we went out with, with our church family to the Dominican Republic. And we were ministering there with our with our missionaries and doing a good job. And on this last day, um, we did a work project. And man, we worked hard. We worked really hard in that, in that heat. Um, well, we got done. We were having dinner. We refreshed ourselves. Uh, Dale's looking because we had almost a, a, a few near-death experiences. This is, a, this is another near-death experience on this mission trip. Uh, Dale had the first one, and uh, he, got, he got over it. He's still here with us. Don't don't fear going on a mission trip. It'll make you feel alive like never before, I promise you. Especially when you, when you face death like we do. No, but, but anyway, we're, uh, we're on this mission trip. It's the, it's the end of the day. We've showered. We've had our dinner. He decides to go out, he and I, to kind of work out on the beach. We're working out on the beach. And then he says to me, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to snorkel. Is there a reef around here we can snorkel? I said, there's one right out there where that buoy is. We'll get the guys to drop us off in the morning. They'll, they'll, we pay them a couple bucks. They'll take us all the way out there. They, they, they wait for us and they bring us back. He goes, man, come on. We don't need nobody to drop us off. Look, it's just right there. How many of you know that in the ocean, things look a lot closer than they are? Once you get out there and start swimming, what looked like right there could be a few miles. Anyone have this experience with with the ocean? See, two city boys from Houston don't know that. So I look at him and I go, I don't know. He goes, you're not scared, are you? Let's do this. And so you, your body kind of tricks you when you first finish working out and you've had a great long day and you've eaten and you've showered and you, and you, and you kind of feel good in that, in that, in that coolness of the, of the, of the air of, on the beach. Your body starts feeling like it's, it, it has more in the tank than it does. But when you take off and you realize that you have these two water bottles stuffed with food to feed the fish, you can't swim very well and it takes you forever to get there and it's starting to get dark now and We're almost to the buoy. That's the buoy. We're almost there. And my brother says, hey, Chris, Chris, Chris. And I go, what? I'm being real quiet. I'm just going. He says, "Um," he says, hey, man, how you feeling? I said, I'm tired. He says, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't given up yet. 
what he's telling me is, is what he's feeling in his heart. He goes, because I know exactly what he was telling me. He's saying, I'm in better shape than you. And that's hard to believe. I know. It's hard to believe that he would be in better shape than me. But he, why are you laughing? That is not funny. <laughs> but he's my younger brother. by the, and, and so he says, because I am like about to quit, man. I go, What? He said, I said, we're almost there. He's like, I'm not worried about being there. I'm worried about getting back. Getting back. And this is what he says to me. He says, hey, man, if, if I don't make it. I'm like, what? Dude, I'm not hearing that. Come on. Can I tell you, you've got to be very careful what you listen to and very careful what you say. In that moment, I said, get behind me, Satan. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't go there with him. I said, in that moment, I said, hey, bro, dude, don't even think about that. We're in great shape. This is nothing. Even if it takes us all night, people have survived days and nights out in the ocean. The only thing we got to worry about is a shark. Now, if a shark shows up, you're in trouble, man, because I think I got more in the tank than you do. And he laughed, and we, and, and we made it back, of course. But when did we get the most discouraged? When did we have to face that fear? At the half way mark notice go to verse six with me verse six so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached how half its original height and they were feeling great then but what happens by verse 10 by verse 10 they're experiencing four principles that I want you to be on, on guard for and, 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 and aware of. The first one is when you start off, you don't realize how long it's going to take. See, you get discouraged when something takes longer than you expect. I get discouraged when things take longer than I expected, number one. Isn't that true? Anyone ever jump into a project and then halfway through you're like, oh, this is taking a lot longer than I thought. This, this, this creates or causes fatigue. You know, Vince Lombardi said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. It doesn't matter how big and strong you are. If you are tired, you can get pushed around. You can find yourself losing heart. And that's where the enemy wants you. He usually will wait to really, he'll start off playing the mind games, plant the seeds, but his real attack comes when you're tired. When you're tired, you're less able to take the criticism of friends. That's when you snap back at them and do something and destroy a relationship. You're less likely to take that, that, that negativity that comes at you from the crabs. What do you mean by crabs, pastor? Not in this church. Not in this church, but maybe in... Not other churches either. <laughs> Maybe out there. there there's, there's people that have the crab mentality that they see you working towards something and they want to pull you down. You know why you can put uh, crabs in a bucket and they won't climb out? Because they pull each other down. And so some people have the crab mentality. And when you're tired, you just have enough of that and you can lose it. You can lose it. You can get discouraged. You can start becoming a crab yourself. You can begin to have all sorts of issues because the truth is the enemy is setting you up for a temptation to fall 
morally when you're tired. He can discourage you. You can fall into a pity party state. You can be frustrated and you can take out that frustration on your loved ones and close. And so you have to be very careful when you're tired. See, if you want to be at your best, you must be at rest. If you want to be at your best, you must understand and experience true rest. Only God can give you true rest. This is a principle that God reminds us of all the time. You know why God reminds you of this? He's reminding you you need him. You need him to replenish you. You need him to lift the things that are too heavy. You need him to carry you when you're tired. You need him. And so God says six days a week you can work, but on the seventh you must rest. And do you know that God makes you more productive when you listen to him in that? The more restful you are, the more you'll work. I learned this when I was studying. I used to try to study all night. Do you know the last eight hours or the last five hours of that study session were worthless? I quickly learned it's better for me to sleep, get up, and put in two or three great hours than to spend eight hours trying to go through the entire night. Because we need to rest. And so this is important. When you are weary, listen to what Deuteronomy says. When you were weary and worn out, the enemy met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. Isn't that the way he works? That's the way the enemy works. He's waiting. Number two, discouragement sets in when something is more complicated than I expected. Isn't that the truth? Takes longer than I expected, and this is way more complicated. This causes frustration. How do we know this? Because the Bible specifically says in that verse 10, there was so much rubble and there was so much debris. Look at me right here. Sometimes there's so much clutter that that project seems just overwhelming and daunting. So much clutter. You say, but pastor, I, you know, I mean, so my room is cluttered. So the pantry's cluttered. So the drawers are cluttered. So, so what? What about life? What about real life? Okay, how about real life? Um, this is a, this is metaphoric speech to what happens in your life when you aren't constantly giving God your pains, your hurts, your heartaches. And some of us have so much emotional and spiritual clutter that's been left there from other situations and other relationships and other things and fights with your spouse and, and disappointments and all sorts of things. And that's causing you to be so what? Frustrated. You can't think straight. Listen to what the psalmist says. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Some of us are lonely and afflicted, and we're so discouraged because there's so much clutter. What is it that emotionally God has been telling you? Let's deal with this. And it just keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. Why? Because the enemy will have it come up over and over and over in order to frustrate you to the point of quitting. Let me put it to you this way. Have anyone ever tried to remodel their home? How about while living in it? Is that easy? No. Why? Because there begins to be so much clutter. 
Am I right, Miss Mary? Am I right, Gil? There's so much clutter. There's so much. You didn't know that one home could produce so much sheetrock and mortar and bricks and tile and thin set. I mean, it's everywhere. And you've got to get it all out. Well, start thinking emotionally. Start thinking spiritually in the same way. If God wants you to build something great for him, sometimes you've got to take the time to pull the roll-off dumpster into the yard and fill it up. Fill it up and haul it off. Come on. So that you can get to work on what God has called you to work on. But don't be discouraged. Number three. You get discouraged and they got discouraged when something is a lot harder than you expected. A lot harder than I expected. You know what? We found this out, Melissa and I, Pastor Melissa and I, this very weekend. On Wednesday before Thanksgiving, she had an awesome idea to clean out the pantry. And, the, and she said, I, I, I'm going to do it as a joint project with you, babe. And I said, gee, thanks, love. I've always wanted to do that. And then she says, well, all of this is your stuff. And I said, no, baby, it's not really my stuff. It's just that I'm the only one that cooks. I think it's our stuff because we all eat. And so it started off great right from the beginning. You know what I mean? But the pantry kind of shares the space with the laundry room. What, what does that present? When it doesn't have its own space and there's other stuff involved, now you've got dish, I mean, not dish stuff, what, what is it? Uh, laundry stuff, and you've got different, and, and the laundry room just kind of gathers stuff from the whole family, doesn't it? It's like if they don't know where to put it, just put it in the laundry room. And so my wife had the great idea to pull everything off the shelves, get everything out of the, the drawers, get everything out of the, the cupboards. What do you call those? Cabinets. That's what they're called. Cabinets. Get it all out. Just, just, let's just deal with it, right? This took a lot longer than I thought. I thought, come on, how many of us totally underestimate projects? If you're, if you're an optimist like me, man, I start off in a hurry. I said, man, this take an hour. We'll be done. Eight hours later, I'm like, Lord, help me, please. God, help me. If you love me, you will have mercy on me, God. Give me wisdom. I mean, I pulled all the stops. I went biblical on this project because I was drowning. Anyone else? When me and my wife, we were about to just burn down Thanksgiving. We're like, cancel Thanksgiving. We're going California style. No Thanksgiving. Which is un-American. Not that Californians are un-American, but you do what you wish with that. They need to vote better. They did. They did. I have a California Chinese. She's, she's, you're right, Laura. You're right. They voted well. They did. They did. They did. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. So watch this. Watch this. We decided to get everything off the shelves. And then we had so much rubble and so much debris and so much. But we kept pressing on. And we took the Goya beans and we put it on the shelf and we said, it's starting to look better. 
It's, no, I'm just kidding. We got through it, guys. But, but my point is this. It was a lot harder than I thought. And because it was harder than I thought, I kind of started feeling that insecurity of failure. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm using a small example. You say, Pastor, I can't really extrapolate that to something bigger in life. But this is the truth. If you lose your snap on the small examples, what will you do on the big ones? Does that make sense? And so God teaches us these principles in everyday life so that we can conquer the extraordinary parts of life. And that brings us to number four. But before we go to number four, I want to read that last part of verse 10. We cannot rebuild the wall. They got so discouraged that they literally thought they couldn't do it. They weren't going to do it. Which leads to number four, when something feels unfair. When something feels unfair, this causes fear. This causes fear. Isn't that true? Well, you say, well, what do you mean? How did it feel unfair? Well, you're about to see in verse 11 and 12. Listen to how unfair this got. So all of their enemies, this is a lot of people. They got together, and this is what they said. Before they know or even see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived nearby came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. You know how, the, how unfair this feels? How can we build when you have someone creeping up ready to stab us in the back? Well, doesn't it ever feel that way? Like, Lord, I try to try to get ahead in my marriage and I try to get ahead in my finances. I try to get ahead with my children, but it just seems like all the chips are stacked against me. It just feels like everything, the enemy is everywhere and, and, and he's attacking my children through the phone. He's attacking them through the television. He's attacking them at school. He's attacking them everywhere I look. He's attacking my marriage. He's attacking my finances. He's attacking me and my health. It's just like, it's so unfair. Am I the only one? It can become over, uh, it can become daunting. But, but listen, who got discouraged first? This is a congregation. Who in the congregation got discouraged first? It's right there in verse 12. Go back. Read it out of the message this time. The Jews who were their neighbors kept reporting. So the closer you are, the more you listen to the negativity. So you've got to be careful not to give access to that negativity and it might be through what you're watching it might be through who you're hanging out with it might be that you sit there and you play over and over what the enemy says to you rather than saying I will put my mind and learn and practice as Paul says in Ephesians and Philippians chapter 4 I will put my mind on good things I will concentrate on God's word I will remember what he told me I'll double down in prayer I'll pray instead of listening to that over and over and over. Listen, those that were neighbors kept reporting, and they said it ten times over. They just couldn't stop talking about it. Come on, the more you talk about it, the more you psych yourself out. 
Don't psych yourself out. So then what do we do? What's the secret? How do you overcome? It's found in 13 and 14. Watch this. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, watch this. I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives and for your homes. You go on to 15, 16, 17. This is what he does. He organizes them by families, he says. But he says, I want every one of you to bring arms, bring your weapons. And you're going to have your weapon on you as you work. And half of you will work while the others stand guard. And then you're going to switch places. But regardless if you're working or standing guard, you keep one hand on your sword. Learn to work with a watchful eye and constantly with a hand on the sword. You know what this is? This is the key. This is what he did. He didn't get discouraged. He realigned them. Notice, this is a real leader. He didn't say, woe is me, it's done, it's over, let's quit. He said, okay, it's time to make adjustments. Come on, Father of God. Come on, Mother of God. Come on, wife of God. Come on, first child. Come on, second child. Come on, someone in that home. Maybe it's going to come from the youngest one. But it's time to realign. It's time to say, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going down without a fight. We're finishing what we started. God is mighty and great and awesome. That's what he reminded them of. They realigned. They got refocused on the goodness of God. They started praying again, and then they took it up a notch. We're not just going to post a guard now. We're all going to be guards in one way, shape, or form, and we're going to be ready to fight for what we are. Uh Uh-oh. Is there someone here ready to fight for God's goodness? You might be here saying, but pastor, I don't know what to fight for. And you've come to the right place. Because every life needs a good purpose that will inspire you with passion. Can I give you a good purpose? Go ye therefore and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them All that I have taught you, said the Lord Jesus Christ. And lo, I will be with you, he said to his disciples, to the very end of the age, and the age draws near. What time is it, pastor? When is Jesus coming? I don't know, but it's getting late. That's a good purpose to get behind. Get a purpose. Refocus and resist the urge to get discouraged. So how do you fight through it? Number one, get in your word. You know, these little cell phones, they tell you how much time you spend on them. I want you to do me a favor. Check how much time you spend. Not right now. When you get home, check how much time you spend and then ask yourself, do I spend equal or greater time in God's word? We are drawing near the time where the enemy is getting serious about his attack. He's not just talking anymore, he's doing, he's planning, he's lining up. It's time to hold on to your sword as you work, as you work. 
Hold on to your sword. You said, Pastor, but I stumbled. Then help, have somebody help you up. Get up on the strength that the Lord has given you. Grab your sword and man a post and start to work for the kingdom. So one hand on your sword, the other hand sharing the gospel message. Amen? You say, okay, so with God's word, and then remember what you're fighting for. Listen to what he shares with them. Go back to that in verse 15. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your homes. Fight for those in your family that if Jesus came back tomorrow, they would be left behind. Fight with all your heart. Read God's word and then, and then share the love of Christ with Uncle Joe. With Aunt Susie. With Cousin Bobby. I don't know who it is, but you do. And begin to pray and say, Lord, that's a good purpose. That's something I can set my mind on. And can I ask you something? When you invite them over and try to love on them, don't take your Bible out and start beating them on the head. That's not evangelism. Come on, you will be saved. Admit you're a sinner. Admit it. No. Share with them what Christ has done for you. Share with them how awesome God has been with you. Share with them that I was in a really bad spot. Jesus Christ did the most loving thing. Let me share with you what my experience has been. Then go to God's word and share those passages of hope. Amen? So this is what I want to share as we bring this to a close. I actually have way more time than in the first service. Remember who you're fighting for, your family. I actually have 20 minutes. I'm not going to use all those 20 minutes, but I want to share something very, very serious, and it's to your point, Lord. Um, I know I can joke around and bring humor to the situation and just kind of try to help you lighten up at times, but this is serious. This is very, very serious, and it's something that God has put on my heart for quite some time. And I've avoided, and I've avoided, but God has said no more. You can't avoid this. I want to talk to you about uh, this past September. We celebrate, I believe it was September 11th, the 400-year anniversary of the Mayflower. 400-year anniversary of the Mayflower and the Mayflower Compact. That's a big deal for us as a nation. Our ancestors, Americans, that became Americans, left England in search of religious liberty. They were being persecuted and denied many of their rights. They risked their lives and the lives of their children and their entire families to cross the Atlantic on a less than seaworthy vessel guided by the hand of God to land on these shores only to have half of their numbers die within the first year. But they persevered to give us this beautiful American dream. This beautiful American dream. Over the years, they became a colony. 
and that colony fought with all of their heart for their independence. Those men and women pledged their their loyalty, their wealth, their sacred honor to establish this amazing country that we have. So, you know, we need to get serious about praying that God would bless America. We need to get serious about it. It's time to wake up. 
I'm going to ask you to remain seated for one minute longer. I shared this in, now they, my wife and the team added that song. I shared this in first service impromptu because God stirred my heart and I had to do it. Now it's, now it's taken on a little bit more form from first to second service, but I'm telling you, this is something God put on my heart to remind us of our history because there is something dangerous happening in America today. And America, what she stands for and the liberty that she was founded on is under attack. It's under attack. There is an organized, concerted effort to remove our history, to detach us from our history, bad, good, or indifferent, before communism can take place in any state, do your research. There is a strategy. Over the next week, I'm going to share online or maybe in person. I haven't decided how I'm going to do it. I may, I may invite anyone who wants to come to come. But I have been talking about this for quite some time, but no one's listening. And it's time I bring it to Sunday morning and let you know this is serious. It's time for Christians to wake up. I'm talking about, I'm talking about things like censorship from big tech that are violating our rights. I'm talking about a psychological warfare and propaganda by big media that is designed to teach us and to tell us how to think. Some of you may be very, very uncomfortable with what I'm saying, but I'm here to tell you, I've, I've never lied to you. I've never come up here and preached false messages. I base what I say on God's word. Trust me in this regard to at least listen. To at least listen. I'll show you facts and evidence. Not only are we being censored, and manipulated, but there is an attack on our amendment rights. There's an attack on our Constitution because in order for Agenda 21, we'll talk about Agenda 21 if you don't know what that is. It's a UN agenda to create a one world government. I can show you how God's word also speaks to that. I want you to know that we stand teetering at the precipice of something great or something horrible. And the choice, I truly believe, is being put to us as a people. What do you choose? What do you choose? I, for one, choose life and liberty and God's word. And so I'm going to pray with all my heart, I'm gonna pray because I truly believe this is the crossroads. We either go down a road where we go ahead and succumb to democratic socialism. I'm not talking about the Democratic Party. I'm talking about something that is beyond party. 
It involves both parties moving us toward a, parties are just a distraction and a diversion. Moving us down. You're here today for the first time. You're probably like, this dude done went crazy. I'm really not that crazy. I'm talking about this. We can either move toward waking people up and and, and people are waking up by the millions. And we will either take our country back through prayer and believing God for it and electing good godly people. And you say to yourself, "Well, well, well, what do you mean good godly people? God uses people you don't always expect. But, but, but watch, this is what I'm saying. You got to have a fair election. Wake up. When in Pennsylvania, you have uh, 1.8 million ballots that are sent out as absentee ballots and you get 2.4 come back. There's something wrong. When a... When a retired colonel from the same state is a senator and he starts speaking to that effect and Twitter wipes his account, there's something wrong. When five, uh, uh, 50,000 doctors and healthcare professionals are coming out to try to share the truth about COVID-19 and they are silenced, they are ridiculed, they are deplatformed, they are removed from their positions or threatened to be removed. There is something wrong. When study after study shows that there is something really screwy going on with, and that's my way of saying there's something nefarious, there's something that is not right with COVID in that you have year after year after year after year a very comparable death rate for certain diseases like heart attack, influenza, uh, or emphysema, or even uh, um, uh, pneumonia. And then you compare 2020, and the COVID numbers are right up here with these numbers, but the heart attack numbers are way down here, and these other disease numbers are way down here. That shows that the doctors that have been saying we're miscategorizing things and we're inflating things in order to create what? Fear. Because where you can be made to be fearful, if they can intimidate you, you can be manipulated. You might say, oh, pastor, pastor, I, 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 this, I, that. No, no, there's two sides to every story. And if you listen to just what's being pushed out there, it's a systematic breaking down of our rights. Look, I don't want to die but I'm teaching my family and my children to stand on liberty and to believe for liberty. And I would rather die than to live completely enslaved. I think our forefathers put it this way. Give me liberty or give me death. You say, pastor, 
I have one more comment for you. You can stand if you'd like. One more comment. This is coming to the church. Look at the governors that have shown no respect for religious freedom. Think about how crazy this is. As a stripper, you have a constitutional right to express yourself, is what was said in California. But you do not have, and that's why I said they need to vote certain people out of office. One, the governor. Start off with him. Get him out of there. It's showing what socialistic, uh, democratic socialism is all about. Right there. We'll allow this activity, but the very activity that's expressly stated in the Constitution, which is the, re the, the freedom of religion and to assemble, is not allowed? What is wrong? I'll tell you what is wrong. what's wrong. There's an agenda, and it's convenient that COVID came to bring all, to usher in all sorts of things. So we'll talk about the 2030 plan. We'll talk about Agenda 21. We'll talk about censorship and all of these things. I'm just gonna start putting it out there in the open. And I want you to start to pray for righteousness. I want you to pray that this election would come out, not that President Trump would win or that Vice President Biden would win, but that God would influence based on righteousness, truth, and that, and that those that are manipulating would be brought to justice. I've talked about this just in bits and pieces, but now I'm gonna go full throttle this week. I'm gonna talk about the Great Reset and how the World Economic Forum, headed by Klaus Schwab and all of these aristocratic billionaires are trying desperately to remake this world. They have in their mind a model something like China, where on the outside it looks beautiful and you see these huge cities and these huge uh, uh, advances and these, these beautiful buildings, but those people are not free. These tech companies are already starting to gather data. They're already starting to implement the social score that's found in China. There's a social score uh, initiative in China to where if you say things politically they do not agree with, then they will give you a low social score saying you are an enemy to the state and they, they restrict your movement, they restrict your ability to borrow, they restrict your ability to do business and earn a living, they basically lock you down within society. You see that beginning to take place here with real socialists who don't like something like what I'm saying here, they'll come against you and try to de-platform you, try to, try to ruin you. What happened to America? I may not agree with you, but I would fight to the death 
to defend your right to say it. That's America. Hey, I love you, church. Let's have a good week. <laughs> We're going to do communion. And so I know I came at that pretty hard. But I think it's time to wake up. I think it's time to wake up. And I want to say something else. It's a shame that we don't have more pastors with even greater influence willing to use their platform, the platform that God gave them to speak truth. Because my question is, where are the pastors at? This country was built by great men of God speaking truth from the platform. And Lord, if you gave it all, so can we. Lord, thank you for your gift of life. Thank you, Lord. We take this, Lord, remembering that it was you who gave your body so that we might be healed. And you shed your blood so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. Thank you, Lord. I love you, church. Have a great, great week. <laughs>